we can just uh, have a little bit of a discussion tonight about uh, uh, brokenness and how, you know just how God uses that in our life. And obviously for for David, um, when he wrote that psalm, that Psalm 51 was written before Psalm 32. So in the chronological order of the Psalms, uh, Psalm 51 was first. Uh, and the reality of that Psalm was really David for a whole year was living in, in self-delusion, literally, just because that Psalm has to do with the fact of how when he saw Bathsheba, that whole thing that happened, and you can read Second uh, Samuel the 11th and the 12th chapters on in there, and you can get the details of it. But anyways, uh, David, he should have been doing what God had, you know, given, given him the responsibility to do. He was, should have been in war, at war, in battle with his troops. And he wasn't. He just happened to feel like taking the day off and just not going forward with what God called him to do. And that can be very uh, instructive to us. He just didn't want to go forward. He knew what he was supposed to do that day. He probably did it faithfully every day, but this one day he didn't feel like doing it. So he stayed home while his troops went into battle. And David, not being busy with what God had him to do, was looking out on a roof and seeing Uriah the Hittite's wife, Bathsheba, or really the Hebrew would say Bathsheba, <laughs> but us English would say Bathsheba, was bathing on any roof. And this was a man that had hundreds and hundreds of women in his concubines, <laughs> close to thousands, really. And he just happened to be looking at her and... Uh, with a problem, again, of lust. And lust doesn't mean just sexual lust. It can be lust in a lot of other areas. But he happened to, again, be looking at her and began to lust after her. And then, obviously, with all the women that he had, he couldn't get enough. He took her and, of course, had a sexual relationship with her. And then to, to cover it, he tried to get Uriah the Hittite, who was faithfully in battle, to leave the battle and come home so that he would go in with his wife and have relations with her to cover the fact that David committed adultery with her. But that man would not go in. He refused to go in and to, to be in the comfort and ease with his wife while his, all the other troops were in battle. Wouldn't do it. And David tried everything to get him to go in, but he wouldn't do it. So then David ordered his troops to take Uriah the Hittite and put him in the front of the battle so that he would be killed. So actually, he had him murdered. So that's, that's King David. He had uh, Uriah the Hittite put in the front lines and murdered to cover his sin. And that's what we can do. Uh, you, you, again, you'll see that in the 51st Psalm. And we'll get into this, these things in detail. But just to uh, 
He covered his sin, and he lived in the self-delusion of covering it for one whole year. Almost a whole year, I should say. Pretty close to a whole year, he lived in this self-delusion. And, uh, and it was the sin, as you'll see, and, the, and, and when we begin to really get into detail about these, these things, it was, it was this sin, and that's why he, he was saying, in Psalm 51, verse 3 and 4, against you and you only did I sin. So in other words, the sins that David committed against Bathsheba, or Bathsheba, taking a bath on the roof, <laughs> Uriah, what he did to Uriah, and caused so much sins. Uh, his sin... His one sin affected so many, but in reality, first and foremost, it was sin against God. So all sin, no matter who I committed against, ultimately, it's always against God, no matter what it is. And so David was living in that, of course, until Nathan the prophet, and you'll see that in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, when he came into him and said to David, David, I'm, I'm gonna, he gave him a parable. There was a man had all, this, all these sheep, had a bunch of sheep, completely satisfied, had, had countless of them. But this one sheep, this one, one guy only had one sheep. And he, he, he took that sheep from that one guy. And what was David's response? He was furious. He was angry, really angry. And he couldn't believe it. As a matter of fact, here, I'll read in 2 Samuel 12 because it's quite a picture. It's very interesting how, how and any one of us are susceptible to it. We can be living in some of the, uh, you know, a sin that's so bad, but yet we'll find something in someone and think it's, think it's so, you know, think it's really awful evil. But in 2 Samuel, the 12th chapter, I think it's very interesting uh, the way that it's put in the scriptures. So 2 Samuel 12, and we, again, we won't get into the details of this because, well, you, again, you look at the 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, and, you know, look at verse 8, it says, and David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet, and he departed out of the king's house, and there followed him a king. With the, he's trying to set him up the whole way, just to speak, just come on out of the battle and get all set up, trying to cover it. And all the servants of the Lord went not down to his house. And when they had told David, saying, Uriah went not down into his house, he wouldn't go. David said unto Uriah, Came you not from your journey? Why then did you not go down in your house? And Uriah said, David, the ark... And the ark here always represented the presence of God. The ark and Israel and Judah abide in tents. And my Lord, my master Joab, and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Will I then go into my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives? I will not do this thing. This man had convictions. Because he was living in obedience, 
He knew where he was supposed to be and what he was supposed to do. I'm like David. And of course, sin, oh, always sin is you and I or anybody else living in self-will and not God's will. And so David had him set up. You can see the rest of that when you go right down to the 27th verse in, in 2 Samuel 11. But 2 Samuel 12 says this, And the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came unto him and said unto him, There were two men in one city, the one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, hundreds and hundreds of them, possibly in the thousands. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he had brought up and nourished, and it grew up together with him and with his children. It did eat of his own meat, his own morsels, and drank of his own cup, and lay in his bosom, and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler unto the rich man, and he spared to take of his own flock, of his own herd, to dress it for the wayfaring man, to make it for dinner, but took the poor man's lamb and, and dressed it for the man that was to come. And David's anger <laughs> was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man that has done this thing will surely die. We're talking about a lamb. And he, he says, that man should be killed. And he will restore the lamb fourfold because he, because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Now, when this was recorded, when Psalm, just before Psalm 51 was recorded, he was living in this self-delusion for one, almost a whole year. A whole year. And that's when God sent Nathan to him, the prophet, and gave him this little old parable. <laughs> and Nathan said to David, when David was actually ripping, angry at this guy, that rich guy for taking that one little ewe lamb and killing it instead of taking from his flock, right? And Nathan said to David, you are the man. Oh, <laughs> boy. Yeah, Numbers 32, 23, your sin will find you out. If we're not, we don't allow ourselves to be corrected by grace, then our own backslidings in Jeremiah 2, verse 19, will correct us. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And, and if that had been too little, I would moreover have given you such and such things. Wherefore have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You, you have killed Uriah the Hittite with a sword and taken his wife to be your wife and has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me. You took lightly. You took for granted what I said and has taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house 
and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them unto your neighbor, and he will lie with your wives in the sight of, uh, of the son, of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. And David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, you know, for, and again, for any of us, when no matter who we sin against, really, ultimately, that sin is against God. So, for instance, when I don't forgive, you know, when I don't forgive, and remember what forgiveness is, okay? Uh, we so freely will forgive, will uh, we'll want God's grace, and we will want him to forgive us for everything that we've done. But when it comes time for us to forgive someone else and to give them grace, well, that is not as easy. It's not as easy at times to give grace as it is to receive it for ourselves. It's not as easy to give it to someone who sinned against us or hurt us as it is for us to receive it for ourselves for all the evil we've done. And this is what David was living in. And so finally he says, when he knows that he can't hide, self-delusion is over and it's even by God's mercy and grace that it's finally over with him, holding this inside. And you will read Psalm 51, and you can read Psalm 32, and see just exactly that what sin was doing even to his physical body. Well, he said, Nathan said, I, and David said unto Nathan, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said unto, the, unto David, the Lord also has put away your sin. Oh boy, you will not die. So again, here, and, and that's when he wrote his confession in Psalm 51. And he went into that whole confession. And then afterwards, that's when he wrote Psalm 32. There's 11 verses in Psalm 32. But Psalm 32, which Paul quotes in Romans 4, seven and eight in relationship to grace. Thank God that you and I, we don't die only because Jesus Christ paid for all of our sins. Paid for every single one of them. And uh, that's why in 1 John 1, 9, we confess them. Okay, so because if we don't confess our sins, and remember in James four seventeen, to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. And when we don't confess our sin, then we hide in our sin versus hiding in God. And which one gives us greater prosperity or greater security? Hiding in our sin or hiding in God? And of course, we can thank God. Thank God. Now, for us, we can thank God, every single one of us, can thank God that in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. He was condemned for all of our sins. And the moment we received him as our Savior, we received the fact that we died with him. He crucified the old sin nature in Romans 6, 1 through 6, which we recently went into somewhat. And then he paid for all of our sins. 
He didn't pay for who we were in our old man, in the first Adam. He crucified that. And then he paid for our sins. And when we accept that, we accept the fact that he was condemned and made the payment for all of our sins. That's why there is no condemnation to, to us that are in Christ. So thank God for that. And David, he, he was really praying for that. He, and you'll see in Psalm 51, verse 6, Psalm 51, 10, and Psalm 51, verse 14, where he would cry out, deliver me from blood guiltiness, you know, from, from murder, from these sins that have, have accumulated in me that I kept hidden and living in self-delusion. And uh, that's what he was praying for. And, and, and that's why uh, Nathan could say to him, God has put away your sin. And the reason he could say that, even before Christ came, in Galatians 4.4, in the fullness of time, to become the sin sacrifice for sin, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he would be the just, Christ would be the just, dying for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, in 1 Peter 3.18, was that Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth in Revelations 13, verse 8. Now, is it any wonder then, it's since God would know everything, and we've said before that, again, that there's never been a time that God hasn't been. He is eternal life. He's always been. And the fact that he's always been, he's always known everything all at once for as long as he's ever been, and there isn't anything that can or would ever take him by surprise. That's why 1 John 3.20 says, If our heart, our mind condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows all things. And what that's saying is, there's never been a time that he hasn't known them all. So that's why he could still call David, anoint him as king. How do you like those hiring skills? God knowing what he's going to do before he called him to be king. How could he do that? Why could he say that? In Acts 13, 22, I have found David, a man after my own heart, who will fulfill all my will. How could David fulfill all of God's will? It's because God had to bring him to the place to see the one who did fulfill all his will. It was the Messiah, Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah and Jesus Christ for us in this church age. Who are we? We are his body. We are his church. We are his bride. We're one with him. That's why he could do it. That's why God could call David to be king over Israel, knowing full well what he would do. Well, 1 Kings 15, verse 5 says that, and it's amazing the way it says it, and I want to read it to you in the original because there is a, a part there that is put there that does not belong there. It doesn't belong there in any sense because when Jesus Christ paid for our sins, did he pay for them all? And of course he did. So then you will see in 1 Kings 15, verse 5, because David, how could God say this? Because David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. 
and turned not aside from anything that he commanded him. All the days of his life. Does that sound contradictory? Then you're going to see also the rest of this verse that's not in the original that was put there by a legalistic scribe or scholar save only, except only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite. Well, let's put it this way. Did God have his son, Jesus Christ, pay for all of David's sins? All of them? Well, of course he did. In Psalm 53, uh, in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions. All of them. In Isaiah 44, 22, and Isaiah 43, verse 25, they were completely obliterated. They were like a dark black cloud. But he doesn't see them. He didn't because Jesus Christ was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. And so you can, if that's in any of your translations, save only in the matter of Uriah the Hittite, you can cross it out because it, it makes no sense. So we would call that nonsense. <laughs> no sense to it whatsoever. So that's why God could call David. Because his call was not based upon who David was or what he would do. It was based upon who Jesus Christ is and what he did and would accomplish for God on behalf of David and millions and millions and millions of others. And so that's a rough background of Psalm 51 without going into the details uh, tonight because the details are incredible and uh, they're loaded. They're loaded. But the fact remains is this. The, the point is this. Finally, he, God wanted David, his king. Yes, uh, Dave, God wanted David to get to the place where he could confess his sin so that he would be broken. And that, that's a key. That's a key to a lot of us. Why don't Christians live in forgiveness toward themselves or towards others? Why? Because there is a lack of brokenness. Why don't certain relationships work? Because there's a lack of brokenness. Brokenness. And God can use it so, so much for us. When I consider, and when you and I consider, that we have Christ in us, the moment we received him, the word came in. Jesus Christ came into us through the power of the Holy Spirit, through regeneration in Titus 3, verse 5. We were regenerated. We have the Spirit in Romans 8, verse 9, the proof that Christ is in us. And we have Christ in us, and who is he? Has he forgiven all of those sins of those that have chosen him to be their Savior? Yes, and we have him in. And so not to forgive in brokenness, when I have the one in me who forgave them <laughs> and me and them, 
It is a lack of brokenness to allow the love of Christ to flow through us, in us, and through us to others. We have this treasure, Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. We have this treasure in these fragile clay jars that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Listen, the power of forgiveness resides in Christ in us. That's where it resides. He has that power to forgive and he wants it to flow through us. He wants us to receive that forgiveness for himself. But the prerequisite to that is brokenness. He has to break us. And so God will use so much in our lives. And I wish there were so many that could hear this in person tonight. But there's so many, so many things that we have inside of us for so long that we haven't let go of, that they're, they're, they're there, and in a sense we forget them and we live in a self-delusion. And then in the process of time, people enter into our life. They may misunderstand us. They may hurt us. And all the while, these things God is using so that it breaks us, so that it releases all these other areas in our life where we truly do need to receive the, the forgiveness of God towards us and to be cleansed from all that self-delusion and all those things that we, through a process of time, become hardened to and live hiding in them, hiding in them. And then God and his love and his mercy and his grace will use someone, maybe they said something to hurt us, and maybe it's not even an issue of sin, but God still wants us to be broken so that life will flow out of us. And it just becomes, when it's not an area of a sin, it just becomes an, uh, an, I, an area of absolute identification and depth of fellowship with him. If you suffer with me, you will reign with me. Paul said in Philippians 3 verse 10, I want to know him. Boy, oh boy, can we know him in any depth without receiving the confirmation of his love? And we said this before, forgiveness is the confirmation of his love towards us. And us forgiving another is the love of Christ in us confirming to them when they need it that, we, that Christ in us and we agree with him, we love you. We love you. And so... Brokenness will come in uh, through a series of things that God arranges so that the treasure is released. It's like the woman with the alabaster box. She had it stored up. But when that was broken, everyone got the benefit of it. People benefit when God breaks us because the treasure is released. In 2 Corinthians 4, 7, the treasure is released in the vessel. And that's why Paul said, in Philippians 3.10, he said, I want to know him. Can we know him apart from forgiveness? Can I know him in depth when I hide in sin or when I refuse to forgive someone else? He said, I want to know him and the power of his resurrection. What was he saying? Christ paid for sins. And the proof of it is his resurrection. He rose 
victorious over it. And he wants us to experience the victory of his life, the power of his life, through receiving forgiveness for ourselves and forgiveness for others. Not holding people hostage in our minds and in our will. Holding them hostage <laughs> when Christ, truthfully, has set them free. And I don't live in freedom when I do so myself. Christ does, is not free to flow freely in me when there is a lack of forgiveness. As a matter of fact, in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 11, it becomes a device of Satan. It becomes a device that he can use to keep the glory of Christ from being revealed, God from being glorified, can hurt the one who doesn't forgive and hurt the one who needs it. And uh, so Paul, as we close this up, Paul said in Philippians 3.10, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And then it says, in the fellowship of his sufferings. There's a, there's a fellowship. So instead of living in a heart that gets hard through a lack of forgiveness, we can have a fellowship of him, of the one who forgave those that we hold hostage and hold them in our mind in a prison. And we don't want them to experience the freedom of God's love through forgiveness. We want to punish them. Really, all we end up doing is punishing ourselves and not glorifying God and experience the peace. His love flows free, freely in us and, and really desires to. And we can confess our sin. There's no condemnation. The whole time we do this, God does not condemn us. There's no condemnation to us in Christ. But we don't experience in ourselves a depth of the power of his resurrection. We don't experience which would, could be ours. Say someone sinned against us and we were totally innocent. Totally innocent. We still, through Jesus Christ in us, have the power of that love that forgave them. And then we can live in the fellowships of his sufferings. Think about all the pain that Jesus suffered when he was rejected, when he was hurt, when he was beaten. But there was a depth of love and forgiveness that went beyond. And it went into a fellowship of suffering, it says. What an incredible, and that's our privilege. And really it is, it's, it's a high calling is what it is. And so <clears throat> the biggest need for all of us too, I think, in these days, is this brokenness in our heart, you know, and uh, just an availability to be forgiven, to accept forgiveness and to forgive and, and just experience a depth of the love of Jesus Christ. Instead of holding myself hostage and others through a lack of forgiveness, what can I do? I can live in a love and experience it, that there is no condemnation. But the whole time that I don't live in the depth of fellowship of Christ in me with his love, 
Is there any condemnation in his love towards us? No. No, there is none in Romans 8.1. But there's plenty in the flesh. Our own flesh will condemn us. And then we'll condemn others when we live in the flesh. But does God see us that way? No. He will lovingly chastise us back into a position where we finally break so that his mercy, his grace, his unconditional love can flow in and through us, thereby cleansing us. And sin there, we'll get into it in the future, but sin, what David is talking about in Psalm 51, it's a deeply ingrained dirt. It takes an unbelievable rubbing. It's not a shallow or a surface cleansing. It's a deep cleansing and rubbing. It's like uh, in type when we get into it in the future, as I said, in Leviticus, when the leper and leprosy is, was a type of sin. There had to be two things. There had to be a purification and a washing because of that deeply ingrained uh, disease. And that's what sin is. It's a deeply ingrained evil. And uh, thank God that Jesus Christ has paid for all of our sins. He has. And he's paid for all of those of other Christians. He's paid for them, all those that received him. He's done that. And he just wants us to live in the freedom of a love that's dealt with it all and not to live in condemnation. He wants us to live in his love for us that never can condemn us because it was all condemned in Jesus Christ once in Hebrews 10, 10, and it's perfected us in Hebrews 10, verse 14. And he doesn't want us living in the flesh because that's what will condemn us. So thank God we have the comforter, the Holy Spirit, and he lovingly convicts us of areas in our life that need to be confessed and agreed with that they've been dealt with by Jesus Christ so that we don't live in a, in a hard attitude that keeps others in hostage and in jail as hostages, but can live in the freedom of a love that's forgiven them, forgiven us and forgiven them, and just be thoroughly clean in our relationship with God, all through brokenness. And that's my little introduction to Psalm 51, Psalm 32, 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12. So, are there any questions or comments? We were talking about blind spots, but is self-delusion broader than blind spots? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think there can be ignorance. And again, when we talk about ignorance, okay, I think, um, and that could be that, supposedly. I would say it that this. Now watch, this is how I would describe this. And this will give you a full understanding. In James 4, verse 17, it says this. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Now what that is teaching is that God only holds us accountable for known sin. That's what that verse is teaching. Now, when I read 1 John 1, verse 9, this is what it says. If we confess our sins, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Now we'll stop right there. Remember, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's James 4, verse 17. To him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. But to him that knows that sin and confesses it, he's faithful and just to forgive him. Okay? But the rest of the verse goes on and says this, and to cleanse him, it will cleanse him from all unrighteousness. And what that is teaching is this. Here's where we can deal with sins of ignorance. In Leviticus chapter 4, verse 27, the priest would go in once a year and offer a sacrifice for the sins of ignorance. What do we mean by that? Psalm 130, verse 3 said, if, says, if the Lord should mark iniquity, who could stand? In other words, if God would hold us accountable for what we were aware of and a plethora of things that we weren't aware of. My God, who could stand? How long could we stand? But it says there is forgiveness in, in Psalm 130, verse 4, so that we might reverence and awe and, and with a fear and a reverence have an awe towards him. So what those verses are teaching with Leviticus 4, verse 27, James 4, verse 17, and 1 John 1, verse 9. He's saying this, that when you confess your known sins, and that's what I'm holding you accountable for, says God. When you confess your known sins, and God, the Holy Spirit, will be faithful to guide us into all truth. And all truth there in John 16, 13 is not only all the truth about who we are in Christ and who he is in us, but all truth as far as known sin. And when we confess it, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So in other words, he's dealing with sins of commission and omission. Sins that we're aware of and we're not aware of. So when I confess... My known sins, whatever they are, I confess them. Then God will forgive us of, and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And all unrighteousness is the sins of ignorance, what we're not aware of. Okay? So does that help with, the, with your questions? Because that, that should really help. Hope, hopefully it does. And, uh, but that, that's the teaching, and those are the scriptures uh, for that teaching. So David, obviously, again, through Nathan the prophet, all he was doing was coming to him and, and giving him a parable that God gave him so that he would deal with his what? His known sin. And you can see it in Psalm 32. He said, my bones were roaring. In other words, he's hiding in his sin. And he's living in self-delusion, like everything's okay outwardly, but inwardly, he is roaring. His, his bones are roaring because of what he did and did not confess it. See? But when he confessed it, right? Boom. Remember Job? Right? The whole time? The, whole, the book of Job was a guy that was living in self-righteousness. <laughs> it was a guy... And God had to show him. So finally, he said, oh my God, my eye has seen you, Lord. 
in, in, in Job 42, verse 5, my eye sees you and I repent in dust and ashes. Then what happens? God flows in his life. God is able again to flow freely in his life. That's what God wants to do with us. A lack of us, you know, uh, forgiving or uh, uh, confessing or forgiving sins. We keep a flow of God, of freedom and of his love towards us flowing in and through us to others. It affects because my sin does not only affect me, it affects so many others. Painful to learn that, but it's true. David had to learn that. And uh, But this forgiveness, isn't that awesome? Psalm 130 verse, verse 3, there is forgiveness with him. And thank God that God's that fair. Can you imagine? Ten commandments, really? Exodus 20, 3 to 17, ten commandments, yes. With 613 statutes and ordinances. You offend in one point, James 2.10, you're guilty of the whole, the whole, you break the whole thing. So all God is saying, listen, when you, one sin, you're breaking everything. But when you confess that, those known sins, all these other things you're not aware of, I won't hold you accountable for. In other words, God's saying to you, I am so fair and just, I am not going to hold you hostage for what you're not aware of. Sometimes people, they didn't even know that they sinned against us or even hurt us. But yet, when that happens, we'll hold them hostage. <laughs> we hold them hostage. Thank God, God is not like that. Whew. Can you imagine? Whew. Have fun trying to keep up with those 613 through a day. <laughs> you can't do it. But all of it is summed up in Matthew 22, 37 and 39. Really is you have to love God and to love See what it says? To love your neighbor, watch, as yourself. <laughs> Is there any confirmation for us? Yes, we're his children, but we do sin in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. We do. We don't have to because we've been given the power over sin. But we do. With our free will, we choose to. Does he forgive us? When we confess it, does he forgive us? And does he forgive us a multitude of we're not even aware of? Scriptures are plain in the teaching of that. Doesn't hold us hostage because he wants us to experience his love. So the sins of commission, sins of omission, sins of ignorance, things that we are aware of, they've all been taken care of by Jesus Christ. He didn't just die for what we were aware of. He died for what we weren't and paid for so, that was a good question, though. It opens up a lot of teaching. That's why these questions, when we have them, you know, that you know, we can learn by them. Is there another question or comment before we close tonight? <laughs> Yeah. In other words, he knows when we sin, he forgives us, but he always remembers it. And he, like, because he knows, like, our personality or whatever. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's put it this way, okay? Let's. I'm gonna read the. I'm gonna read these scriptures to you, all right? And we'll let the scriptures speak for themselves, okay? Okay. Yeah, I'll read these to you. Okay, we can quote these, but we're gonna read them to you, right? Okay. So Isaiah 44, verse 22. I have blotted out as a thick cloud your transgressions and as a cloud your sins. Return unto me, for I have redeemed you. Okay? Now, right. Isaiah, right, that was 44, 22. Isaiah 43, verse 25. That one comes to my little mind. 43, verse 25, I, even I, am he that blotted out your transgression for my own sake, <laughs> for my own sake, and will not remember your sins. Kind of interesting. What does that say? Okay? He does it for his own sake, right? Yeah. Okay, so, now, you owe an electric bill, right? When you paid it, right, is the bill blotted out or does the electric company keep remembering that bill for the rest of your life? <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's paid, it's paid for, right? Okay, now, now let's look at these. Let's go to the New Testament. So, let's look at these little verses. Let's go to Hebrews 10, uh, 8, 12, and 10, 17 that come to my mind. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And I mean, is that how plain is that? Hebrews 10, verse 17. And their sins and iniquities will I remember them no more. And what that is teaching is this. That once we receive Jesus Christ. Okay, so. Isaiah, um, uh, Psalm 103, verse 12. As far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your transgressions, right? So here's Christ. He's paid for all these sins. Right? Paid for every one of them with his own life. Right? So, so God, for all eternity, he's not going to see me perfect in Christ's life. So that means this, that he's going to have to remember when he looks at his son that he had all those sins on him too. Is that the case? So can God see me through all eternity? You mean to tell me God for all eternity will always remember the sins that I did, but will always remember that I'm in Christ. Okay? So really, truthfully, the, the whole issue is you've got to get the right teaching. 
I, I say that so many times. I've said that so many times at Richie and Jeannie's. You gotta get the right teaching. Okay? And the right teaching is not necessarily I'm saying that I am always right. I'm saying the Word of God is always right. And if you preach, like Paul said in Acts 20, 27, I have not kept back or shunned from declaring unto you all, the whole counsel, all the counsel of God. And when you don't know it, you don't preach it. Or when you don't know how to interpret it through God, through grace, you're going to teach it legalistically. So, are there any questions or comments? Does anyone? Yeah. 